Blog Talk Radio. We have great musicians, 
And each year we have several festivals that we produce. For example, we have our, our second annual this year, Oyster Festival, and we bring in oystermen from the eastern shore who are growing the most fabulous oysters uh, with all new high-tech um, equipment and new farming techniques, um, still using the Chesapeake Bay. We have our Where in the World is Your Red Market Bag Contest, where people take their red market bags all over the world, take photographs of them, and last year's winner took it scuba diving and won our contest. Mm -hmm. um, we have our annual Halloween party. We have guest bloggers. We have our Bake Bethesda a Pie Contest. And, of course, we love having you, Mr. Diva Bedick, live from New York City. Come down and visit the farm market. And I'm excited because I'll be coming in June as well as September. So uh, check out all those de details at Central Farm Market's website as well as Diva Bedick. But you know, Deb, so many people today, and part of this podcast is about this, are afraid to experiment when it comes to fruits and vegetables. And I know for a lot of people who just go to the grocery store, a farmer's market might be a little bit intimidating. So I just wanted you to kind of help us out and my listeners who might be traveling to a farm market for the very first time. I know spring is in the air, so there's lots of things available. What do you really recommend a newcomer uh, visit when they're going to a farm market? What's your strategy? Well, the first thing I tell people to do is to take a walk around the farm market. Stroll around, see what everybody has, see what's new, what's interesting, and and kind of scope it out and get a sense of what this kind of farm market, all farm markets are different, and they all have different items. So get a sense of what it is that you are really interested in. Once you kind of glean into what you want to look at, Go over and talk to the farmers and talk to the artisan food producers. Learn about what they have. They, will, they love to talk and they love to tell you about how they grow their fruits and vegetables or how you can ask them how to cook things. You can ask them for recipe ideas. Um, they are so helpful, uh, so it's a lot of fun. And um, one of the things we suggest is you bring your own bags. We give out bags at our market. It's environmentally friendly. Uh, bring a cooler or a bag, an insulated bag, to bring home things such as milk or eggs or cheeses, things that you don't want to leave in a hot car, obviously. And another thing is when you start to visit a farm market, go early. And there's a, a couple of reasons for that. First of all, a lot of the farmers pick very early in the morning when you're still sleeping or the night before. So the fruit and the vegetables, they're at their, their peak. They have the most flavor. They have the most nutrients. And some of the things, such as blueberries, strawberries, they might have a limited quantity. So you want to get there early to get the best choice before they sell out. Um, and I like to tell people also to make a point of trying something new each week. Seek out an unusual vegetable. And this is a good activity for a family activity. Find something new learn how to prepare it, learn about its value, its nutrient values, and take it home and make a new friend out of that new vegetable or fruit. If there are food demos, a lot of farm markets have food demos by local chefs. They are more than happy to not only show you and give you a taste, but to teach you how to do this at home. Most things that you'll find being prepared at a farm market are easy to do, easy to replicate at home. 
So uh, that's that's some of the food things. And then I love that. Are... I think I think that's amazing advice for people. I mean, I know I used to only eat iceberg lettuce until I went to Central Farm Market, and then one of your vendors kind of explained all the different lettuces that to me. And now he's got me hooked on radicchio and several different uh, butter leaf and other lettuces that I just found out when I came last September. So I think that's great advice, and I know. You've got one of your very special vendors with us tonight who's joining us to tell us a little bit more about um, what he, what his company does. And for those meat lovers out there, because we've been talking about vegetables and fruit for a minute, I'd love to turn your attention and introduce my next guest, which is Mitch Berliner, who's the co-founder of Central Fire Markets along with Deb, but he's also the owner of Meat Crafters. Hi, Mitch. Hi, thank you so much for having me on your show. Really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I love what the two of you are doing to help encourage people to eat more fresh produce in the air, in Bethesda area. And we should tell everyone that you don't only have the one farmers uh, farm market that I went to in Bethesda. You also have how many more do you guys uh, run? We have a farm market in Rockville, Maryland, North Bethesda, Rockville area, and uh, that operates on Saturdays from 9 to 2. And interestingly enough, we are we have sort of become, like Deborah said, the village square, and we are being approached all the time by developers because what people have found is that the farmer's markets really, if they run right and they have a critical mass of uh, farmers and artisan food producers, really do become the village square, and people just don't come to shop and leave. They really come to see their neighbors, interact, uh, be friends, and learn about the food, where they're getting it. So it's uh, it's it's become a whole thing. And you've had you your passion food with food goes way back. You've worked in the food industry for many many years. I think um, uh, Deb told me once that you actually were involved with one of the larger-known ice cream brands. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, Max, it's it's absolutely true. Um, I've been in the food business for a long time. I'm very old, and uh, (laughs) I can't help it, but, uh, you know, beats the alternative. Um, I actually um, started out uh, being a chef and a busboy and had one of the first gourmet-to-go places, and that ultimately turned into a... It's in the long story, but I, it turned into an ice cream distribution business, and I heard of an ice cream that no one ever heard of. It's only being uh, sold to a few upscale stores in Manhattan, and that ice cream was called Haagen-Dazs. And, of course, it's a household word now, but uh, I brought that down, introduced that uh, into the mid-Atlantic area, and uh, ultimately, you know, obviously that, and I introduced Ben and & Jerry's and Dub Bars and the first fruit bars and the first line of organic frozen items. So I have a very checkered past, uh, guilty as charged. But and, it's amazing, um, and now you're kind of, I mean, I look at you for the latest trends, and I know you've kind of now moved away from the freezer aisle, and you're in the meat aisle, and the new trend that I'm reading about now is salami, so... I know uh, you now are the owner of Meat Crafters, and one of your specialties are salamis. Why do you think people are becoming so passionate about salamis? Well, um, a lot of these things, take farmer's markets. I mean, I didn't invent farmer's markets, even though I had farmer's markets going back to the 1970s. People have been doing farmer's markets forever. 
as soon as you know one village could trade on the with another village, there were farmers' markets, and people met in the middle and traded and and etc and really, the same thing is true for salamis before the Italians made great salamis, the Egyptians were curing these, and what happened in so many categories of food is that in a rush to make things uh more accessible and cheaper um corners were cut so people meant large manufacturers uh cooked salamis instead of curing salamis cooking salamis takes a day curing could take depending on what you're doing anywhere from six weeks to 18 months so as people travel more go to europe their tastes have expanded and they want to taste salamis and other cured meats the way they really should be made so again it's not magic it's just that people want to really get back to what something's supposed to taste like. And where could people find out more about Meat Crafters? Well, they could go to our website, uh, which we are redoing, but we have a website. And uh, Deborah and Stan Fader are uh, partners of mine in that business. And you could go to meatcrafters.com, M E A T. C-R-A-F-T-E-R-S, meatcrafters.com. I love it. And, Deborah, uh, where can people find out more about Central Farm Markets and the whole calendar of events? Uh, that will be in our spring session starts uh, with our full vendors on April 13th and 14th, and you can find all the information at centralfarmmarkets.com and make sure that farm markets is plural, so it's centralfarmmarkets.com. Great. And well, I also, thanks for, I, yep. I also so want to say that uh, our other co-founder in the market, Ann Brody Cove, was a, a foodie way before that was popular, and she helped to get the whole market thing uh, going too. So this is we have we have sucked all these people out of retirement to do this. Well, I have to tell you, Mitch, uh, my Twitter account is blowing up because a lot of women are accusing you of why they have a weight gain thanks to your Haggadah Dove Bar uh, <laughs> distribution chain. So right now, women are a little bit angry at you, but we're going to convince them to check out the meat aisle and go to the farmer's market. So thanks for being on the show, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a great day. Take care. Thank All you. All right. Bye-bye. I'm turning my attention to Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'd like you to introduce my lucky contestant for our third page tra- trash game tonight. It's Laura from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hi, Max. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm doing good. Now, Laura, you're living with type 2 diabetes since ni- uh, 2008. I'm wondering, we always hear about food and diabetes, and I'll be talking to author Ginger Vieira later about the emotional emotional eating and diabetes, but I want to know, what's the best advice you've ever gotten about food since you were diagnosed? Um, Well, I think the best advice was that, you know, nothing is forbidden. You just have to uh, take things in moderation and uh, you have to be smart about it. And, of course, you have to limit things. But, you know, when I was diagnosed, I thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to eat sweets ever again, you know, and then... uh, when somebody told me, no, that's not really the case, you know, that made me feel a whole lot better. And uh, I've discovered a lot of healthy foods that I like that I might not have tried if it weren't for being diabetic. Well, name one of them. I always love to turn people on to new healthy foods. Uh, well, different kinds of vegetables. Um, 
I didn't really like peppers much before, and I've discovered that they add a lot of flavor to food. Um, I think, uh, actually, uh, Chef Robert Lewis's uh, Mediterranean chicken was uh, one thing that really turned me on to peppers because um, it's, uh, it's really good. And uh, what's interesting about your story is a lot of women who have diabetes often complain or don't complain. They talk to us about the fact that they have to prepare one meal for themselves and another one for their husband. But in your case, both you and your husband are living with diabetes. So how does that affect your meal time as a fa- as a couple? Well, um, it didn't really change a lot when he was diagnosed. He was diagnosed three years after I was, but he was very supportive before he was diagnosed and, you know, changed a lot of his eating habits already um, before he actually got the diagnosis. All right. Well, you mentioned earlier one of my favorite people in, in the world who I'm so honored to have join us on the show tonight. Please welcome the happy diabetic, Chef Robert Lewis. Hey, Max. How are you, buddy? I'm great. Thanks for joining us. You've got a fan in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Did you know that? Listen, I didn't know that, but I'm feeling really good about it. <laughs> Did you um, have you posted that recipe recently that Laura just mentioned? The what was it, Laura? The Mandarin chicken. Mediterranean. Mediterranean chicken. chicken of love. You know what? I haven't posted it for a while, but I will put it on my blog and I'll put it on my Facebook page. For all the people in Chattanooga, we want to turn them on to some healthy cooking. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight. I heard we have a couple interesting challenges coming up for Laura, but it doesn't require me. It requires a superstar to introduce them. So I would like both Laura, Chef Robert, and you, my listeners, to meet one of my favorite divas, the queen of of green, (laughs) Miss Aida Romaine. Hello, Aida. Here she comes. Hello, Aida. Hello, darlings. Aida Romaine here looking gorgeous as ever. Oh, Max, Max, darling, last night I was at this fabulous club, and I was thinking of you and that adorable chef, Robert. They were playing salt and pepper, and it reminded me of this tasty, delicious approach to healthy cooking. <laughs> wow. I love it. Well, you are. You are, I'm so glad you could squeeze us in tonight. You're always so busy. What are you up to? Oh, Aida's always in demand, darling. I'm uh, packing for a trip to Cannes, darling. Oh, my gosh, you're going to the film festival in France? Uh, no, darling, Cannes in Del Monte. <laughs> I'm, I'm visiting my good friend, Peaches. She's having some work done. Shh. Doctors won't reveal much except that Peaches is having appeal. She believes that getting older in Hollywood is the pits. I bet. I'm, I'm sure she's, uh, Sharon Joan Rivers feel the same way. <laughs> well, Peaches just lost out to a juicy part that she swears she was ripe for. Oh, poor dear. She's just clinging to her youth. Oh, wow. I, eat a lot. I wish her the best, and it's so nice of you as a friend to go visit her. But let's get right into the game and share with Laura and our listeners our three Serve, Taste, or Trash game foods tonight. All right. It Number one. 
his marvelous Jerusalem artichokes. Yay! Number two. Okay, now clap your hands for vibrant, delicious kale. <laughs> and absolutely fabulous oranges. Ooh la la. Chef Robert, wow. I'm hanging on the vine in anticipation for your culinary creations, darling. They're going to be amazing. I guarantee Woo-hoo! it. Now, Aida, you've got so much going on. Do you have anything coming up before you leave the show? Oh, yes, darling. Didn't I tell you? Miss Aida is heading to Broadway. I'm working with Bette Midler in a new play called I'll Eat You Last. Wow, how fabulous is that? Congratulations. Thank you very much. Beth and I, you know, we used to be like two peas in a pod, but when I got this exclusive contract with that creamy Italian Caesars in Vegas, she became green with envy. Needless to say, I play the appetizer that disappears before intermission. Ta-ta, everybody. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Arita. And that's your sound effect, Laura, because now it's time for you to play Serve, Taste, or Trash. You heard our options. Uh, Miss Aida Romaine uh, mentioned tonight you have Jerusalem artichokes, oranges, and kale. Which one would you serve to your family and friends? Um... Probably the kale, because it has so many different options for what you can do with it. What's your favorite? How do you? What do you like to do with your kale? Well, I actually haven't tried kale, but I've read a lot about it, and uh, I would love to uh, try some different things. I love that Odiva in Tennessee is an experimental cook. I'm sure Chef Robert's going to have lots of advice for you. That's fantastic. Which one of the options are you going to taste? you have Jerusalem artichokes and oranges? Uh, probably the oranges. And that means which one are you going to trash? The artichoke because I'm not a fan. Never been a fan? <laughs> no. <laughs> Have you ever had a Jerusalem artichoke? Um, well, the artichokes that I've had, I, I haven't really enjoyed. Ooh, Chef Robert, says, what do you want to say about that? Well, Jerusalem artichokes are nothing like the thistly, thorny artichoke you might be used to. And oh. really, a Jerusalem artichoke is kind of like a tuber, almost like a potato. It, it's really a sunchoke, and it's part of a flowering family that looks a lot like sunflowers and so it's really a peel slice or dice and roast it and it's really nice and deliciously flavored and easy to eat and very delicious okay Hmm. all right well you've convinced me and i've got a great recipe for you okay And what are your three delicious recipes tonight that she's going to have an option? Now, you're going to listen to the recipes, Laura, and you're going to have an option to change your vote. Okay. Here we go with Chef Robert. All right. We're going to start with a roasted caramelized Jerusalem artichoke, you know, Max, of love. So here's basically what it is. It's peeled and cut Jerusalem artichokes, again, like a potato. I've got some olive oil, some garlic, some butter, some chopped parsley, some chives. 
and then it all gets a little cracked pepper and then roasted in a 400-degree oven till they're nice and caramely and brown and delicious. Wow. All right. My next recipe is grilled skewers of sausage in honor of meat crafters with orange and green peppers. So what I've done here is I've made some skewers, chunks of green and red peppers, uh, and great that you're back on the pepper bandwagon, some onions, sweet Italian sausage, some unpeeled cut-up orange chunks, and a little extra virgin olive oil. And basically they get put on a skewer and roasted in the oven at about 350 degrees. Again, um, you know, a great portion, very delicious, and a great way to combine vegetables, oranges, and fruit and citrus with like a grilled meat like a sausage. I love that. Now, Chef Robert, do you um, com- do you use like red, yellow, orange, or green peppers, or do you specifically like what on that? Uh, you know what? I like the green and red peppers. I just think the color is really great. And and the yellow peppers are a little bit harder to find, but green and red peppers are super easy. And I even like those little miniature bell peppers you can buy in a bag, which are really, really great. I just bought those last week, and I love those. Do you try those, Laura? Have you tried those? I, I have. I haven't bought them, but uh, a friend of mine, I had one at lunch the other day, and she let me try one. It's Which really good. And they have a great... I think people really hesitate because they think they're going to be hot, hot, hot. Yeah, they're, they're sweet, really sweet, sweet. Crunchy, yeah. delicious. And they last a long time in your refrigerator. I mean, they just have this great crunchiness, and what I like about it, it's easy to portion exactly what you need instead of cutting up a big, giant pepper. Exactly. Okay, Max. I save the best for last. It's one of my favorites. I love kale, and I like to do it a lot of different ways, but this one gets all the raves. So what I do is I take a large bunch of kale, I wash it and dry it. I pick it off the stems, cut it up in small pieces, add some olive oil, some sea salt. You can add a little garlic and even some sesame seeds. I mix it all together in a 350-degree oven, and then I roast them till they're crispy and delicious and crunchy and caramely. It, they're kale chips, and you eat them like potato chips. And they just last really for, you know, quite a while. They make a great appetizer, great when you're watching Celebrity Apprentice, whatever you like to do. Um, kale chips are super healthy. It's a super food, really great, and this is a really easy and fun way to eat them. Wow, all three recipes sound delicious. So, Laura, I think you've got your uh, we got a job in front of you. Uh, I want you to ne- I want you to now tell me using your food IQ. You heard the three recipes featuring again the Jerusalem artichokes, the oranges, and the kale. Reviewing those three recipes from what Chef Robert told you, which one of those recipes would you trash because you think it has the highest amount of sodium content? Oh, definitely the uh, sausage and orange dish. Why do you say that? Um, I just think that it, uh, with the the meat, um, even if it's uh, high-quality processed meat, it's still probably going to have more sodium than the other two because you, you control the amount of sodium in the kale chips or in the roasted artichoke. And are you watching your sodium living with diabetes? Oh, sure. Yeah, I have uh, high blood pressure, which often goes hand-in-hand uh, with diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so, Chef Robert, how did she do tonight? Amazing. She gets a gold star. She was absolutely right. Now, the way the way that you could 
make this into something not quite as high sodium is you could cut back on the sausage portion and add more vegetables. And you can even roast some cauliflower or roast some broccoli in with the skewers. That would really be great. So if you kicked up the vegetables, decreased the amount of sausage, you'd still get that sausagey meat flavor that you might like with less sodium. But you were right on. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Now, so far, we're getting um, we're getting someone in the chat room really asking you. They said, "What does he mean? Those artichokes taste like potatoes." Can you explain what Jerusalem artichokes are one more time? Yeah, you know what? I'm only I'm only suggesting really, Max, that I mean they have an artichokey flavor, but it's a tuber, so you know it's like a potato in 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 the way that the um, the consistency of the vegetable. So it's and potato so it, like. It doesn't require any kind of leaf peeling like you do the traditional artichoke. Not at all. You, you have to peel the skin off it like you would a potato, maybe, um, because that's kind of bitter and tough. But it's not mm-hmm. thistly like the typical artichoke. And really, the name, you know, Jerusalem artichoke was kind of, you know, it, it goes way, way back um, to a perennial flower name. But really, their sun chokes is what they're marketed as. Um, but they're really not related to a thistly artichoke. And Laura, what did you think of these three recipes? Which one would you uh, would you want to try first? Um, well, I'm still intrigued by the kale, but oh, yeah. the uh, the roasted Jerusalem artichoke sounded really good. I would not have thought something with artichokes would sound that good, but. Um, I I would definitely try it if I can find them at my store. Yeah, and oven roasted is just for me one of the most amazing ways to cook vegetables. And yes. um it's just a great way to make things crispy and caramely and crunchy and it just brings out a whole different flavor of a of a vegetable opposed definitely. to boiling or steaming which is just so boring. Yes. I I never would have thought that I would eat Brussels sprouts, but when I tried roasted Brussels sprouts, they're actually really good. They are delicious, and I love to take a little balsamic vinegar in with the Brussels sprouts right when they come out of the oven. That's just amazing. Yep. All right, well, I want to bring in our last diva, the author of Emotional Eating and Diabetes, to join this conversation and let us know... What Ginger Vieira would do with her three options tonight, the kale, the oranges, and the Jerusalem artichoke. Please welcome to the show, Ginger Vieira. Hello. Hi, Ginger. Hi, Ginger. Hi. Thanks for having me. You know, I you really did a good job making those um, artichokes sound as delicious as possible, but all I can remember is the only artichoke I've ever tasted, and I've never tried it again. So I would say that... You know, not taking a risk with what I got to eat, I'd have to trash that one. Oh, Ginger, I love your honesty. <laughs> wow. I'm afraid that I'd choose that one, and then I'd be, I'd be like, oh, I can't eat this. It's just, all I can remember is the yucky artichoke I once ate. Ginger, um, these, these artichokes will change your life. I, I would love to, you know, have the opportunity, I guess. I, well, I say that after I just tried to trash them, but... I'm nervous about it. I got to tell you. Well, they're fairly available. They're pretty available everywhere, aren't they, Chef Robert? Yeah, they really are. I mean, even here in beautiful Iowa, they're available. The local grocery stores have them. They're very common. Um, 
I thought they looked kind of like ginger when I found them at the store. They they do. They have a gingery, rough appearance, you know, again, with that potato-like texture. Yeah. Okay. And so when well, you shop for them, is, are there any tricks to knowing if you're getting the ones that are fresh or the right? or Because they all look pretty similar to me when I look at them in the store. You just want them firm. You know, if they're mushy or soft, they've got some age. They need to be firm, um, no brown spots. That, that's about it. But it's a tuber like a potato, so, I mean, they last a long time. And, and uh, you know, kept in a cold climate, they do very, very very well. All right. Well, I think okay. that's great advice. Tell everyone, Chef Robert, the Happy Diabetic, where they could find out more about your appearances, like when Laura got to see you at Taking Control of Your Diabetes, as well as about purchasing your cookbook. Yeah, thanks, Max. Um, my website, happydiabetic.com, is a great way to find out everything that's going on with me. Um, there's also links to my blog and my Facebook page um, and some other projects that I'm doing. So just, you know, make yourself at home there. Cookbooks are available. I have two best-selling cookbooks that my mother says are the best cookbooks ever written um, and would love to share them with you. <laughs> well, and that's the vote of confidence I love because Mama Rosemarie, my own mother, participates on uh, Diabetes Roundtable, which is our podcast coming up next week, and she says that's the best podcast she's ever heard. So and, and Matt, I'm in agreement. It's all about our moms. Uh, it is. And, Max, I've met your mom, and she is delightful. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to having her on the show, everybody. Tune in next Tuesday when we do Diabetes Roundtable. In the meantime, I have to tell you, listeners, April is uh, really special to DivaBetic because it's the month that Luther Vandross, who inspired me to create DivaBetic, was born, April 20th. We'll be celebrating with a tribute podcast to him uh, later this month. But the thing that so most of us know besides his music is Luther's long-time battle with his weight. So I wanted to have Ginger come back on the show again this month, the author of The Emotional, Emotional Eating and Diabetes, to talk to me a little bit more about uh, the emotional side of eating as well as living with diabetes. Luther Vandross had type 2 diabetes, and unfortunately he passed away in 2004. And so, Ginger, I'm, I'm glad to have you back on the show. Tonight we're going to be talking about binge eating. All right. Where would you like to start? Well, you know, I don't. I think a lot of people, first of all, don't think it's a man's issue. And I and I was reading your book, and I know uh, one of the stories in your one of the stories uh, that this issue that came up around this issue was a gentleman named Scott who's living with type one was uh, dealing with emotion with a binge eating. So, have you found that a lot of men have this issue as well as women? I absolutely feel that it's really the more I talk about this issue, the more I encounter just as many men who struggle with emotional eating and binge eating. And the, the difference, though, is that a man doesn't really talk about it with his gal pals or with his guys that he's playing basketball with, you know what I mean? So it seems like it's not as big of an issue, but food is an issue for everybody. Food is such a big part of everybody's life, and especially when you add diabetes in the mix, I don't think it matters what your gender is. And I think, you know, of what Laura said earlier, and Laura, please don't let me paraphrase, but you were talking a little bit when you were first diagnosed with diabetes, you were kind of, you know, you had to learn what was what some of the healthy alternatives were, and then also kind of when you started to find out that they were tasting well, you kind of changed your food habits, correct? Yes, definitely. So the idea of binge eating here, I could kind of understand if people are feeling if they're operating from that standpoint of deprivation, Ginger, is that what kind of, what's Scott's story? 
What's Scott's story? Is that what you said? Yeah, it's about how did you know? What Scott in your book? You talk a little bit about Scott. So, what kind of insight can you yeah. give us into Scott's story around binge eating? Well, it's partly deprivation, but before you even get to the point of saying, "Oh my gosh, it's been a week since I had any chocolate or ice cream," and now you go binge on them. It's also constantly every time you eat those things, what you're telling yourself about those foods and what you're telling yourself about you for indulging in them or even abusing them and really beating up on yourself for not having enough willpower to resist the food or telling yourself, you know, potato chips are so bad today. I was so bad for eating them. I'm such a bad person for eating potato chips. Those kinds of thoughts just make that cycle of abusing food get bigger and bigger and more consistent and more self-destructive. And it really starts there. And so, so what what can someone do who might be listening tonight who's ha- who does find themselves just binging out on potato chips or some of the things you just mentioned? The very first thing I would do is be honest about what you're currently doing. If you've been... I mean, you're probably already aware that you abuse food, but have you ever really stopped and said out loud, I am abusing my body with food right now? Or have you ever sat down and really written about what triggers you have around food and what kinds of things you've done to your body with food and been really honest with yourself about what is currently going on? And that's really important to do before you try to change it. And I'm just curious, Laura, have you ever kept a food diary? Um, I have uh, tried not a written diary, but I've tried some of the uh, smartphone apps, and I I struggle with being disciplined enough to to do that on a regular basis. But I do see that it makes a big difference when I am writing down or uh, you know marking what I'm eating and seeing how it all adds up. Have and that's a little different, down? though. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Max. No, no, I was just going to say that, you know, those apps are a little different in that they're really they're really asking you to be perfect. You know, people, if we start using those apps before we've addressed our binge eating, then we get to that point in our binge eating and we're like, oh, I don't want to submit this to my food calorie counter because I don't want to look at what I just did. Yeah. And so then the app doesn't become useful, right? Yeah. For me, it's mostly just laziness and not wanting to take the time to go in there and enter everything. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, maybe trying to do it on uh, paper and pen would work better for me. I don't know. And so, Ginger, once you've written down, you know, once you start re- kind of recording this and, and kind of being honest on paper like you're suggesting, what else mm-hmm. do you recommend? Well, so, like, she mentioned earlier about moderation. I think it's really common that we start telling ourselves, I just I need to eat things in moderation and be really good about what I eat and not eat bad things. But the bigger picture of it is that it's, you know, about balance, of course. And I really feel that if 80 to 90% of the day are really good choices, then you're not going to want to go directly towards junk. Um, for most of the day. If you're filling yourself with really good foods and enough protein and then treating yourself, whether it's once a day or every few days, to that 10% of your day to something really good. And, you know, he mentioned Haagen-Dazs and Ben and & Jerry's. 
a lot of people love to go to the diet ice creams that are low fat and really light and you don't feel like you're getting ice cream. And for me, I know that if I treat myself to some real ice cream like Hagen dogs then I got exactly what I wanted and I feel satiated and I don't have the need to eat tons and tons of it because I got some really good quality dessert that I wanted yeah. right there. And Chef Robert, you're wa- you're working around food all the time. You're living with diabetes. How do you feel about this uh, issue? Well, I I totally agree. I mean, I think you know, eating real food that tastes really good and trying to eat in moderation has really been a key for me. Um, you know, enjoy what you like, but eat in moderation. I mean, that that just has worked well for my controlling my blood sugars, and it allows me to enjoy the foods I really like. But you know. Again, in moderation. I also feel like, Ginger, like one of the important things about this is kind of really sitting down and understanding your diabetes to start with because a lot of people might be binging or craving based on the fact uh, that they they haven't, A, they haven't been diagnosed, and B, they might not even, you know, they're not really checking their blood sugars at any time to know whether they're going high or low. And I could certainly see someone sitting down with a cheesecake and, you know, devouring it if they started to feel shaky or blurred-eyed or sweaty or just, you know, feeling like they need something right now. Yeah, and actually, um, before we get into binging for lows, there's also if your blood sugars are constantly high, whether you haven't been diagnosed yet or um, you haven't been taking your medications like you were planning to, if your blood sugars are constantly high, it can actually make your appetite um, more ravenous because your body isn't getting the fuel that it needs. Instead, all that fuel is sitting in your bloodstream. So that's one thing to know about appetite and cravings and high blood sugars. Mm. But with low blood sugars, we, you know, especially with type 1 or a type 2 who's taking insulin, we are always, you know, very easily able to drop into a low blood sugar if our insulin dose is just off by the tiniest bit or if we're exercising, for example. And it's our brain telling us, feed me, feed me, feed me as much as possible. But rationally, we know we only need 15 grams of carbs to correct a low blood sugar. But if you kind of convince yourself that that doesn't matter, that you need more food, that you want more food, and let your brain take over and, and let that little voice that's saying, feed me more, it feels so good, um, then you can end up eating, you know, a 1,000 calories in one sitting, just binging during a low. And that can, over time, become very self-destructive and lead to gradual weight gain and roller coaster blood sugars. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah. So the most important thing, again, is kind of, like you said right at the beginning, to take that step and really kind of start recording the foods you're eating, keep a food log, record uh, your blood sugars as well so you have a better understanding about what might be going on physically, not just emotionally, around the food cravings you're having. Yeah, and to also, I mean, if you really have gotten into a habit in your life with low blood sugars of binging, to really stop and acknowledge what that's doing to your body. Because at, at some point, we kind of get into such a groove with doing that that we convince ourselves everybody does it and it's normal and it's okay. But it's really, it's a lot for your body to deal with every time you have a low to take that binge. So to really stop and acknowledge what you're doing and, and talk to yourself about you only need 15 grams. And to try to create ways that you can put the food down and leave the kitchen until your blood sugar comes back up. Right. And I, I mean, again, April's month of 
the month of Luther Vandross for urging everyone to have an honest conversation with their health care providers. Ginger, we are running out of time, but tell everyone where they could find out more about your book and also visit you with your blogs as well as your uh, the other things you do for the community on the social media level. You can find my book at EmotionalEatingWithDiabetes.com or on Amazon. You'll find it on there. And my coaching website is LivingInProgress.com, and you can find my YouTube channel on LivingInProgress.com as well. Perfect. And Chef Robert, once again, they could visit you at? Um, HappyDiabetic.com. And the queen of green, Aida Romaine, we want to thank you for being on the show. Did you have a good time? Yes, darling, always. Always, darling, always with you. And Laura from Chattanooga, Tennessee, you're going to come back and be my guest next week on Diabetes Roundtable when we're going to talk more about your diagnosis to Diva Story. How did you enjoy tonight's show? I I enjoyed it. It was great. You're going to start to cook in Jerusalem artichokes? Yeah, I'm definitely going to look for them the next time I'm at the store or uh, the farmer's market. Excellent. And thank you for such the nice comments. Oh, you're quite welcome. Yeah, we're all fans of Chef Robert. And listeners, we want to encourage you to be more open-minded eaters. That's why we're playing Serve, Taste, or Trash. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and thank you for listening. Hello.